Hello, everybody. I'm Christoph Bard, a partner in Linklater's Global Antitrust and Foreign Investment Practice based in Düsseldorf, Germany. And welcome to the latest episode in our Global Foreign Investment Podcast series. Throughout the series, we are joined by speakers from regulators around the globe to bring us their perspectives on topical issues, interesting quirks of their regimes, and insights into what to expect of reviews in their jurisdictions. Following our latest podcast with Catherine Burke from Canada's Investment Review Branch, I'm really pleased to be joined today by Damien Levy, who heads up the unit on technology and security FDI screening in the Directorate General for Trade in the European Commission. Welcome, Damien, and thank you for being here today. Um, the EU established a legal framework for FI screening, which entered into force around two and a half years ago. Prior to the enactment of the EU screening regulation, only a small number of member states reviewed foreign direct investments at national level. The regulation is the first legal basis for FI screening in European law and contains, among other things, a cooperation mechanism on investment screening between the European Commission and EU member states designed to facilitate harmonization and coordination. Damien, looking back to the application of the regulation over the last two and a half years, how has the EU screening mechanism developed in practice and in particular, what has worked well? Thank you and hello everybody. Thank you for this podcast. I would say it's almost three years now. Um, it has worked very well. If you take a macro perspective, we were at about 15 member states with legislation in place to screen foreign investment. Today we are at 21 and I would expect 23 by the end of the year once Ireland and Sweden have adopted their regimes. So we clearly see that most member states are covered and most foreign direct investment uh, will be uh, covered by the end of the year. So in terms of having the instruments in place, I think we're getting where we want it to be. And there are four member states that are working on legislation and we're helping them technically and also having political conversations on these uh, topics. When it comes to the handling of cases, I think we've all learned a lot, to be frank. Um, three years ago, some member states had, had a lot of experience. They have expanded their investment screening uh, mechanism, as the lawyers and the practitioners know. And member states, a number of member states didn't know anything about this. From the Commission perspective, we had never screened cases from a security perspective. Colleagues in DG competition have a long experience of screening or examining, assessing uh, mergers or concentrations from a competition law perspective. So we also learned from that perspective. And uh, well, we've screened, as uh, we've said recently, more than 1000 cases. And so we've we've learned a lot and the, the level of cooperation among authorities and with the Commission is, is really high. And I think we've built progressively a, a, a culture of uh, administration and of screening transactions, a, a strong confidentiality uh, culture. There's been no leak to my knowledge. Uh, we've handled more than 1000 cases and I think that's that's very important. In, indeed, and I think the your, your track record in that respect is, is indeed remarkable and, and much better than with some other regulators. You've been in, incredibly busy, as you said, over 1,000 cases since the regime come into, came into force. 
400 cases alone in, in the last year. Can you maybe briefly explain to our audience how you manage this pretty significant workload and how the process is organized within DG Trade, whether members of your team have a specialization, be it in terms of sector, origin of an investor, and, and who's involved in this process besides DG Trade? The Commission is at a par with other member states' authorities in this process, which is pretty unique for competition lawyers. Uh, we are part of a network. We get notifications by member states that are screening specific transactions. And we all in the network have 15 calendar days to decide whether or not the case warrants further questions, further examinations, and to give what is called an early warning to the screening authority. So how we organize ourselves within the Commission is very similar to other member states. You have an entry point, which is my unit, and you have case handlers that look at cases. We do a very first initial assessment. We put together um, a summary, a short summary, if you wish, which we dispatch within the Commission to our contact points in the different departments of the Commission. And depending on the subject matter, if it's an energy case, DG Energy will get the case. If it's telecom, it will be DG Connect. If it's transport, it will be DG Move. And you have some services and DGs that get all the cases, the legal service, the Secretary General, uh, the external action service, they get all the cases uh, so that they, they can keep an eye on what is, is happening. Within the 15 days, we have to decide whether or not we ask questions, we do an in-depth uh, investigation or assessment. In roughly 80, 85% of the cases, we close the case during those four, first 15 days, so in phase one, and so the national authorities can continue their investigations. If in the 15% more roughly cases where we open uh, an in-depth assessment, once we receive the answers, we then have to decide whether the case rises to the level that, you know, there's a security, potential security risk, public order risk, and from the Commission perspective, we need to adopt an opinion, either because we've really identified risks or because we have sufficient information that we wish to share with the screening member state. And that second process takes place in about 20 days. And then it's for the member state to decide on the case on the basis of the Commission opinion and maybe formal comments from other uh, member states. How we are organized, we are not organized per sector. The team is not big enough, if you want. And what matters for us is more the investigative skills and the capacity to work with other experts like on telecom, transportation, and energy cases. So that's how we are organizing ourselves uh, for the moment. And when we set up the team, we talk to a few authorities, among others, uh, I mean, the German and the French, which had a system in place, but also American colleagues. And it didn't seem that they had specializations per sector. And they also recommended that we would not organize, organize ourselves in, in this way. So that's uh, how we function. That's, that's very helpful. And many thanks for those explanations. You just mentioned you, you and member states are able to issue an opinion or a comment, respectively. Uh, 
when you are conducting an in-depth review, how often does that happen that you actually make a recommendation or a statement to the member state authority? And can you maybe highlight some key triggering factors for taking such an action? We've said actually from the almost the first report that we issue opinions in less than 3% of the cases and that statistics remains pretty stable. It's not really possible for me to identify triggering factors. The, and that raises an interesting broader uh, policy issues in is the transparency about the work done on FDI screening. We've taken the position that we cannot disclose more information than our member states are disclosing. And so for the moment, our member states are most of the member states remain pretty discreet in disclosing the triggering factors and what matters. And so therefore we cannot disclose what they are not disclosing themselves. Understand. Yeah, that's and I mean we, we may come back to the point about transparency because that's indeed uh, a particular feature, so to say, of, of many foreign investment regimes that uh, a lot is happening, say, in a in a black box in environment. Um, I mean Coming maybe quickly back to the screening mechanism, I mean, it is intended to establish a common framework. And I mean, you mentioned already that um, there is great success in terms of proliferation of, of foreign investment control amongst EU member states. Um, and, and although, meanwhile, many member states have put a legal framework in place or are in the process of doing this, our observation is that the regimes vary widely, both as regards the relevant screening criteria, as regards timeframes, so in many respects. And we still see a flurry of reforms at, at EU level. Over summer, we've seen the recent enactments in, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Denmark. You already mentioned that Ireland and Sweden are, are soon to join the table. Is the European Commission engaged in these national reform processes and the enactment of national national regimes to a greater extent? I would say we are involved in at different levels. First, at the political level, the Commission has called now repeatedly for all member states to adopt a screening mechanism. And so we are very happy to see more member states adopting screening legislation. At the technical level, we engage with experts if they come to us in a way, if they ask questions, uh, we uh, regularly have a look at draft legislation and we share views. And obviously we look at whether the, the draft legislations are in line with you know, the main principles set out in the FDI screening regulation, but these are pretty um, limited. And so therefore our interventions are in a way quite limited as well. I would say for the moment, now is, is probably the moment we are the 18th of July and I don't know when this will be broadcast, but we are um, at the end of a public consultation on the issue of the current state of play, the, sit the situation in member states. And we've asked detailed questions to the practitioners, to any interested stakeholders on the on the situation, whether there shouldn't be more convergence, more harmonization in either the procedures or potentially some other elements as well. And so if you still have the time or if you wish to share your views even after the closure of the 
consultation, you can do so because we are really in the process of taking views, inputs into account in order to table before the end of the year a new legislative proposal to amend the current regulation. And that's that's pretty important because the current regulation has been in place for three years. And even if we go fast with elections next year and a new parliament, my personal assessment is that a new regulation would not enter into force before probably two and a half years, if not three years. And so therefore, the on the one hand, the current regulation will only will also still be with us for probably two and a half to three years. And on the other hand, we're not going to review it very often. So if you have any views on how to improve the current setup and also what you expect the current setup to be in one or two years, and you anticipate the problems that may arise then, um, share your views. Share your views on problems, issues, but also on solutions that you think we should be considering. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point. And indeed, I mean, for an instrument that is not being reviewed too often, I mean, a very good, very good opportunity. I mean, the, the EU level in some some way is sort of the, the, the one level where action occurs and obviously which you can directly influence for, for companies notifying their investments. The, the other level is sort of the actual member states, which do look at the EU screening regulation when they um, adjust their laws. But we do notice that there are very considerable differences amongst member states as regards the handling of a cooperation mechanism. I mean, would, I would be interested to hear your views on those differences and how this plays out to you, because I, I suspect that some of the sometimes perceived inefficiencies of the regime may, may be due to that member state level and how the law is, is applied there. Yeah, you, you're kind of asking me a difficult question. I'm, I'm not going to compare one regime versus the other. Um, you know, we have 27 member states and we have to treat them even handedly. Um, we commissioned now almost two years ago a study by experts of the OECD Investment Committee that came out last October and really identifies issues in 12 areas. And so I think that's a really interesting study for any practitioner, any person interested in this field. And for us, it's an important building block of our evaluation of the current regulation. What we do see in particular when it comes to multi-country jurisdiction or multi-jurisdiction uh, deals, so a same transaction that has to be reviewed by different authorities, is a problem of synchronicity or asynchronicity that procedures start at different moments and there is insufficient predictability on the timeline and the cumulative timeline of all these national procedures. The, the I would say the mere phenomenon of multi-country deal was not even identified by the regulation tabled now four years ago, uh, or no, sorry, six years ago. Um, and so that's, uh, that's one, phenomenon that we will need to address one way or another to see does this warrant more regulation at EU level because it creates too much problems, too much inefficiencies, and I would say in particular 
if you anticipate the entry into force of 27 legislations, because today you're dealing with 21 or maybe 19, but then once you deal with 27 applicable, potentially applicable to the same deals, I mean, it's potentially linear or even exponential, the problem. And so you need to anticipate that and what that means and see whether solutions should not be uh, proposed when we revise the regulation. Yeah, I know that I understand. And I think you uh, announced that sort of like a first assessment of the evaluation is coming out end of this year. So, I mean, it will be very interesting to see sort of in which which direction you, you're heading then. I mean, meanwhile, coming back to sort of the actual case assessment and the interaction between member states and the commission, I mean, um, do you meet and discuss cases or how do you organize sort of the interaction within the screening mechanism? We don't actually meet physically, thanks to COVID. Now we discuss a lot of things virtually. These things happen uh, informally on cases when the need arise, arises. Um, we could trigger multi-country calls if a deal uh, crosses about or affects several member states. We can bring on the call several authorities uh, to compare notes on procedures, but also on substance to see how do we assess the transaction, how do we assess uh, the, the foreign investor, what are the respective roles of the subsidiaries and uh, how do they work together? Those those conversations may take place informally whenever the need arises. Um, there's no rule, there's no fixed rule. Um, I think we these things are happening uh, informally. I think member states will tell you that before the, the cooperation mechanism entered into force, they were occasional. No, I think they are much more systematic uh, conversations. Mm -hmm. And you, you, I mean, you alluded already to the fact that some criticism about the European FI landscape is is about the timeline impact which which it can have. So in terms of like multinational proceedings, and then you have sort of a screening mechanism ex as an extra overlay. So when, when people criticize this whole legal landscape for causing longer review periods and, and creating delays, I mean, what is your your reaction to that? Because at the same time, you mentioned you have 15 days to make up your mind. Then you, you may ask questions. You have further timeline to provide comments. I mean, what's your view on, on the process duration overall and say proportionality in that respect? Well, I can only speak to what I know. Um, my view is that based on the lack of complaints that the cooperation mechanism delays would delay significantly the national procedures, I don't think cooperation among member states and with the commission delays the procedure or procedures. Um, the issue is more at national levels and kind of the cumulative impact of different procedures being applied. So at, I would say at the macro level or European level, I don't think the cooperation delays deal approval. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I do understand that. Maybe coming a bit to, to the substance of foreign investment review. I mean, foreign investment cases are assessed by reference to whether they cause a likely effect in relation to public order or public security. And 
I mean, the EU screening regulation sets out a couple of factors regarding the sector of the target company or the foreign investor that might be considered by the Commission or member states. And in particular, Article 4 of the regulation provides for a list of, say, more sensitive sectors, but in, in very, very generic terms, which leaves a considerable scope for interpretation uh, for member states. Um, I mean, in our impression, impression, sort of this list sometimes causes difficulties because some member states have essentially transposed it into national laws. And I mean, I would appreciate your views on how this list was intended to be and what the purpose was and sort of like how to, to best navigate this very broad room um, for, for interpretation. When you read Article 4, which is the list of factors that may be taken into consideration by member states uh, or the Commission when assessing individual cases, uh, you see indeed a list of sectors or technologies or items such as information or even something like the freedom and pluralism of the media, which are factors that can be taken into account when you assess uh, the effects on security and public order of certain transactions. That uh, And you have the same on the foreign investor. That article was not meant to be guidance for setting the scope in terms of sectors for screening mechanisms. That is not what it was meant to do. I know a number of member states have used it to define the scopes of transactions or, or targets. If you belong to those sectors, then if you if there is a transaction affecting that those targets then you have to uh, notify and get approval for that transaction but i was that's not what it was meant to do mm -hmm. um and so again if you think at eu level there should be a minimum scope well let us know based on your experience it's very tricky to define the scopes because for various reasons first of all is the general logistic issue that you want to be broad, but then how do you articulate broad definitions with individual cases? The second problem is that you may have suppliers to companies active in those sectors that are not in those sectors at all, but that may be critical suppliers. It could be that you have a critical supplier of an armament company that makes, I don't know, some kind of input widget um, that is not in your sensitive sectors. And how do you then as capture that type of transaction in when you draw the legislation? I think that is not an easy one, but the tier one supplier, and not to speak of the tier two supplier, so one level up, um, uh, is, a, is even a harder one. And personally, I have no easy solution. Yeah, no, I understand. And I mean, it's it's certainly tricky when approaching this from a public order, public security perspective, which I mean, as such is a, is a broader concept. And I mean, maybe sometimes that's the, the comparator use. And I know you have a competition law background. Um, and, and so it's, it's hence uh, maybe an easier comparison. Competition law obviously is like many, many more years more established both at EU level and at member state level and has achieved a very high degree of harmonization in terms of legal tests and substantive analysis and triggers what is a concentration with, with some deviations, but I mean, largely harmonized. 
do you think this is also achievable in a foreign investment control context? That's an interesting question that I get regularly from competition lawyers, of course. The true answer is I don't know because we, it's still very much early days. It's very much early days of kind of coordinated security screening of transactions at European level. As we discussed earlier, not all member states have a screening mechanism in place. So the, the culture throughout government is not there yet. So let's see how this, this plays out. Maybe in a couple of years it will happen, but don't forget it's a matter of national security. It's a national prerogative of each member state to define you know, its own national security, its own public order. Uh, what matters for Germany may not matter at all or not be relevant for Ireland and vice versa or Sweden. So I think we have a very diverse union and um, the functioning of a market from an economic perspective, macroeconomics, the models, um, that is one thing. Uh, the security analysis is different. I'm sure it can be uh, further developed and can become more elaborate and I would hope also more predictable over time. But um, already anticipating convergence is, I think, um, too early to say. It's too, too early days for that. Yeah, maybe then one still the the attempt for one one more element where I mean at least I believe some some conversions would be would be very welcome. When I look at the screening regulation, I see that in terms of what is a relevant so to say concentration or transaction type for you, that's an acquisition of control, pretty much like an EU merger control where I get a uh, where an investor gets a strong influence over a target company. When I compare this to member states, many of them now have extremely low participation thresholds, sometimes as low as 10%, and there's not really a nexus to control rights. So it regimes at national level easily capture pure financial stakes. I mean, is this, uh, do you have a view on this strong discrepancy? And I mean, is is the, the actual governance influence something the commission takes into account when you assess cases? That's a great question. Um, I would say first that FDI is more than just control because it's also the acquisition of effective participation in the management. Um, and that definition of foreign direct investment comes from a court case. And so we, we are kind of um, very respectful of that uh, court case. And as you know, so at EU level, uh, portfolio investment falls outside the scope of the common commercial policy. It, it may be bizarre to you, but uh, the regulation is based on the common commercial policy uh, treaty legal basis, Article 207, because investment is part of foreign direct investment is part of uh, trade, if you want, or common commercial policy. So it, it when because of the treaty, the way the treaty is organized. This is how it, it works for the moment. And that's an issue that we will be looking at again, indeed, when we look at uh, the regulation and what we need to revise. And the discrepancy between member states and reflect on what uh, we should improve. But I, I don't have any specific view on this 10%, 20% and so forth. For the moment, it's purely qualitative. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that's something that is 
and the flexibility that this gives is quite appropriate for a lot of authorities i would say thanks yeah no i i, I understand and i mean when we when we look at the substantive test, so whether public law or security is likely to be affected by a case, and we discussed briefly, you can issue an opinion uh, on, on this, whether it's an effect um, on, on overall or on particular projects and programs of, of union interest. I mean, can you can you identify in broad terms some types of transactions that might be relevant here? that you consider as relevant in terms of like put, having that potential impact? Yes, um, the role of the, the commission is double. It, and it's a, in a way to take care of the European dimension of a transaction. We have national authorities looking at the national impact on their own territory, on their own security and public order. So in a way, we come in from the European Commission perspective when two or more member states are likely to be affected, because then there is a European dimension. Or we come in when a program or project of union interest can be affected or is likely to be affected on grounds of security or public order. And as you know, we have an annex which lists these projects and programs of union interest. So it's actually listed there. So if you have a company that is involved in some of these projects, and then we look at the, how can I say, the role that it plays in that project, it could be that an acquisition of that company may have an effect on mm -hmm. uh, the security, on public order, be, through its participation in a project or program of, of union interest. And as you know, it can go from a transportation, to um, the Trans-European Networks for Energy, Telecommunication. We also have the research program there, uh, but also Galileo, and we have defense industry uh, development programs. So it's pretty diverse in a way. So it, it's not easy to say, well, it can be in this sector or that sector, but the test remains security or public order. Yeah, and and uh, I mean, it's also a list that is not static right so you've you've made adjustments to that list i think sh shortly after the regulation came into force so in, in some sense i mean it's it's an evolving space um, yeah indeed because we um there was the new multi-annual budget as you know so we had to update the list in line of the new programs that were adopted under the the current budget seven-year budget cycle thank you yeah. Um, when I look at sort of like interactions in a transaction context, obviously there is very close interaction between transaction parties and the member state responsible for review. But currently there is no direct interaction with you. And I mean, you mentioned earlier, you're sort of like your interface are, are the member states. From your perspective, would there be a benefit in having such direct interactions so that investors can explain themselves and um, so there is more immediate exchange and also direct response to questions you may have? When you look at the regulation, this is not the setup. The setup is really the front office for the parties and other stakeholders interested in transactions are the national authorities. The other authorities, the commission, can share information, they can express views, which are, as you said, comments from member states and opinions for, for the commission. And, so, and because if you start doing parallel conversations, you can start crossing wires, you can develop more uh, opportunities and likelihood for misunderstandings. 
Well, this being said, I think the door is open and our door remains open to anyone who wishes to talk about transaction. The practice is that very few people come, extremely few, uh, because people know that this is handled at national level and this is where the conversations should take place. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's under the current law still decided at at member state level. So it's it's an opinion you issue, but currently not a a formal decision. Um, I mean, we, we touched briefly upon the question about transparency and that currently there is a big lack of transparency. I mean, obviously, individual cases are confidential and sensitive, but even on sort of like the interpretation of rules in the context of cases, there is very little publicity. We do see some statistics being published by yourself, by member state authorities, but no broader transparency. Shouldn't shouldn't there be such greater level of transparency going forward? Well, I think if you look at how things have evolved over the last three years, I think things are evolving towards more transparency as authorities become more experienced, they have a better sense of what they can disclose and what they cannot disclose. When we prepared our first annual report, we looked at the lay of the land. We looked at what was Germany publishing, nothing. France, one page. Uh, Spain, at the time, nothing. Uh, Austria was preparing its first annual report. Italy, quite detailed information. Uh, the United States, a lot of information, but very hard to connect with uh, actual cases. And so we decided if you want to have a, an annual report that, that went as far as we could in terms of sectors, origin of investors, or phase one and phase two cases at European level, we tried and we still try to aggregate statistics at European level. So to give the first aggregate picture at what is happening in Europe in terms of screening of cases, and we keep doing that. I think the first, the next report will be out in the course of uh, September, if, if everything goes well. But disclosing more information about cases, that really is in the hands of member states. And there, I think the things may evolve over time at national level. I think also in, in Germany, things are uh, evolving. And the French, for example, just to, I mentioned they had a one-page report. I think the last report was between 15 and 20 pages. I think they also see the need of communicating more because as you have a regime that expands and that applies to more transactions, the governments have felt the need to also communicate more about what they do because something we haven't really touched upon because we both, you and I, think it's obvious. We all are very welcoming of foreign investment. Foreign direct investment is very much needed, um, has very positive effects for our economies. It's simply that we need to take care of very few percentage that may be a potential risk to our security, and then we need to have the instruments in place to take measures. But for the rest, we need really to remain very welcoming and also at EU level. So that's why we are concerned about the cumulative impact of national legislations on the attractiveness of the EU as a market, as a, if you want, one economy for foreign investment, because we think that's really important to preserve. And I think that's a, I mean, 
from from my perspective, a very, very important point. I mean, it's it's about free trade, about being attractive, but not being naive, as it was said when the uh, regulation came into force. Um, but but ultimately, we're talking about very few cases that are of concern and the majority of investment is not. So, yes, um, I mean, you, we, we touched a couple of times upon the current evaluation of the, the regulation. Let's assume for a moment you alone were the lawmaker and you could move very quickly. You wouldn't need three years. What would be top of your agenda for the upcoming reform? <laughs> Thank you. Um, the regulation leaves kind of three freedoms to member states. One, the freedom to have or not to have a screening mechanism. We need to look at that. And you know the Commission's view. It's, it's like the union where a, a building with 27 apartments of different sizes and you have 27 doors. So it's the internal market. And you can enter through any of the 27 apartments so you need a guardian at the door of the 27 apartments. The second freedom is the freedom to define your regime, the scope of the regime, what you control, what you don't control. That leaves a lot of freedom to member states because national security is different from one member state to another. I used to say before the start of the war in Ukraine that the situation in Finland or the Baltics is different from uh, Portugal. It remains the same even though the effects of the war are also felt in Portugal or Ireland or other places of the Union. But nevertheless, the question is whether that freedom should not be uh, organized and whether there shouldn't be a bit more convergence and no hardcore of sectors that all the member states should be screening. The third freedom is the freedom to organize your procedures. And there the question is whether the current situation where you have almost total freedom is the most effective and efficient for everybody, the parties, the authorities, stakeholders, the economies at large. And that, I think, is an open question where we are very much looking at the views of, of colleagues. But what is certain is that we are not considering, and I would not personally consider changing the regime and do a revolution. So for me, it has to be evolution, not revolution. The system has to remain. The front office is the member states. They assess cases, but probably we all need to work better together. Yeah, and and I mean, I personally would add maybe some guidelines on sort of those principles that stem from the screening regulation and are to be applied by member states. So there's sometimes a bit more clarity on these but my personal item for the wish list. Um, I mean, last last item, um, there's currently a fair bit of talk about outbound investment screening. It's being discussed in the US. Um, European Commission President von der Leyen announced a closer assessment of whether such instruments should be introduced in the EU. And I mean, it could well be argued that such instrument may even fall within the jurisdiction of the European Commission. I mean, do you have any views on, on this instrument and uh, what we should expect and and by whom? Well, <laughs> um, some people call it reverse CFUS. Um, maybe you could call it reverse CFU, reverse cooperation on foreign investment into the European Union or from the European Union. Um, 
I think we need to acknowledge that today no member state is really controlling our bond investments. They are controlling the transfer of dual use technology that could take place in the framework of an outbound investment. So that is already controlled today. The Commission has announced that we need to look at these, um, in particular in the fields of certain emerging technologies like um, advanced AI or quantum computing. And so we are setting up an expert group to discuss with member states, you know, what are the potential risks and to see whether there is any gap in our regulatory framework. Is there any need for regulatory intervention? So I think it's very much early days. When the Commission tabled the legislative proposal in 2017 on inbound investment, you had 12 member states back then, including the UK, with a screening legislation in place. Today we have none. So that's also a reality. And so I think we are at the very early days of starting a conversation and analysis uh, with member states, experts, to see whether there's any need. And we are also watching what is happening globally. Taiwan, Japan have uh, systems in place, maybe China as well. Uh, the US still does not control outbound investment. Let's see once uh, one day they, they might uh, decide to have uh, some kind of regime to monitor, to control, to prohibit. And then we'll, I think, also draw lessons from all these regimes in place and see what lessons can be drawn from their experiences and then what should we be doing at European level? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a dynamic space and a lot, a lot to come our way. Damia, very many thanks for taking the time and the extremely useful and helpful insights and spending this time with us. And, and also many thanks to our audience for listening. I hope you found this podcast informative. And I hope you will also listen to upcoming episodes featuring other regulators from a number of key jurisdictions around the globe. Many thanks, Damia. Many thanks, everybody. Thank you, Christoph. Thank you, everybody.